Welcome in everyone to this episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. As always, we are your two hosts, Toby and Colin. Toby, how have you been? Pretty fantastic. How are you? Happy now, obviously back in my favorite chair, talking about football with my guy. I'm ready. As always, make sure to find us on Twitter at Deep Dive Dynasty, but we're just going to get right into this episode. We are continuing our divisional deep dive series and traditionally you'd go alphabetical that's usually how they're listed but we're not traditionalists here there's no rules we want to talk about a specific division because you know there might have been some big news that happened this week and we think it most impacts the afc south so we're going to be talking about the titans the colts the texans and the jaguars today let's get right into last year's divisional winners tennessee titans You've got coaches Mike Vrabel and a new OC, Todd Downing. He was promoted from within the organization. I believe he was the tight ends coach last year. But generally, there's not a lot to say. We know Mike Vrabel. We know this offense. They're going to rely heavily on the run and, of course, Derrick Henry. But, you know, maybe this passing game will also open up a little bit, too. Before we get into the wide receivers, quarterbacks, Toby. We've got Ryan Tannehill. And his backup, as of right now, is Logan Woodside, which is basically who? If I hadn't read the show doc <laughs> before this, and you said Logan Woodside, I said you're making it up. I've never heard of him. <laughs> I I know of him, but I would not have guessed he was yeah. number two on a no. depth chart. Ryan Tanhill, and we don't need to continue to bury the lead. The big news of this week is that Julio Jones is there. Julio. So, Toby, how do you now view Ryan Tanhill both? as a 2021 asset and going beyond just this year. It can't do anything but help Ryan Tannehill. Mm -hmm. Of course, I got to say it's positive and beneficial for Ryan Tannehill. I will say that I would bet a lot of money that Julio Jones doesn't play every game this year. He hasn't been healthy in many years. And, you know, obviously he's reaching the twilight of his career. So I don't think he's now a locked and loaded, you know, dynasty buy for the next five years or anything crazy Mm -hmm. like that. But for the next at least two years, having Julio and A.J. Brown alone is pretty fantastic. And I would not be getting anyone to go out and buy him right when there's a trade. I think there's too much hype. Yeah, you probably want to wait. Too much glamour with Julio coming. And you can say, I can throw a ball up, but he can grab it. Because realistically, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Like, I'm not doubting that. But there's a lot more that goes into an NFL offense. So in terms of Ryan Tannehill... He's sneaky good value right now. Very good. And I do think, for most people, he just very quickly jumped up into that top 10. Last few years, he's been up there. And just due to his lack of weapons, people have really been pushing him down their rankings. And I would be included in that because I just had some fear. And not all of that is dissipated with Julio. But a good amount of it is that his weapons weren't going to be quite the same as what he saw in previous years. They obviously lost both Corey Davis and Jonu Smith over this offseason. And also, if you look a year before, they lost their right tackle, who was a big standout for the team, and they tried to replace him with the biggest first-round bust of probably oh, my entire it. lifetime. <laughs> so there are some question marks still, but getting what I would have to say is inarguably the top duo of wide receivers that any team has. I can't think of a single team there's a lot of good ones, but who has a better number one and two than A.J. Brown and Julio? I don't think any team is even really sniffing that. No. It just feels like A.J. Brown and Julio is mm-hmm. a daunting task for any CB2 around the league. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, I would be they're afraid. in for a long day. Uh-huh. 
So obviously Ryan Tanhill has moved quite up the boards. He is now just bridging on that top 10 quarterbacks because that's where you find players like Aaron Rodgers, who there's question marks around all of the rookies, you know, in seasonal. A lot of people have a lot of hype for Tom Brady, but there's obviously the fact that he is somehow, what, 12 years older than an already kind of old Ryan Tanhill. So I think he's breaching on that top 10. He's right in that range, but I'm very okay with having him as my starting quarterback. At wide receiver, obviously we have the aforementioned duo of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, and I do still see A.J. Brown as the alpha, and that may become contentious. I wouldn't be surprised if Julio finds himself getting the better coverage a lot of the time, and that's only good for A.J. Brown. But if I'm putting my chips down, if both of them have a fully healthy season, I'm still going to choose A.J. Brown to have a better season than Julio. I think the biggest question here with these two is, How do you see the landing spot for Julio? And also, how much does Julio's arrival hurt A.J. Brown? We'll start with Julio. I don't think this is the worst situation he could fall into. There was definitely more crowded options, and you will see how that is once we get into every name below these top two. But because it's not the highest volume passing offense, I don't think it's ideal, and especially when you compare it with Atlanta, which I think Atlanta's probably the best situation in the league just in terms of the amount that they pass terrible defense defense. yeah lack of running game Mm -hmm. one thing i will say is this is also another defense that could be very bad the titans secondary in particular is very weak so if they are game script out of the possibility of running in the way that they want to these two wide receivers could absolutely eat the one reason that i wasn't super happy about julio going here is that aj brown is without the accolades obviously kind of a younger version of Julio Jones. They fit a really similar role. So it's not that Julio Jones is going into a wide open space in the offense. Like he's not filling a void. He's only adding to it. So I don't Mm -hmm. see him going there and getting, obviously he's not going to get the volume that he got as a Falcon. Julio Jones, I think will go down in terms of production. Compared to last year, I would agree. Just compared to last year. But you were probably already valuing Julio knowing he was going somewhere. And of all the options, it's not a terrible option. Not a terrible option. option. For A.J. Brown, because I think we need to discuss who has been a lot of people's wide receiver one in Dynasty, that will be my main question for you. Is he still right at the top as far as Dynasty wide receivers go? In my opinion, yes. Julio Jones is going to be out of the league, I think, shorter than he would even like to because of injuries and just the toll that the league has taken on his body. Mm -hmm. I don't think that one, maybe two years of A.J. Brown getting lesser coverage is going to hurt him that much. He's still going to be able to do some absolutely unbelievable athletic plays. And having Julio Jones there to detract from a little bit of coverage as he still hones his craft, I don't think is anything but a good thing. No, he's not going to be an absolute target hawk. Mm -hmm. On this offense alone, with a healthy Derrick Henry, (laughs) you almost can't be a target hawk. Like, yes, you can have a large percentage share, but... I don't think he was going to be catching a ton, a ton, a ton of passes anyways. So having Julio there, I don't think detracts from his overall value. And I still would have A.J. Brown in the top tier of dynasty assets for wide receivers. I do too. Over 14 games last year, he had 106 targets. And obviously over 100 targets is great, but that's not quite in the... Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen type of tier already where he's getting like 140 targets. That really wasn't a part of the equation the last few years, but there was some hope with Corey Davis and Jonu leaving that he could 
get a much higher target share. So I do think his value is depressed from this, but at worst, I see him doing right about the same as he did last year. And last year, in standard, he was the wide receiver nine and PPR is the wide receiver 12. Those are the type of numbers I expect him to put up. And let's be real, if Julio goes three more years as a very solid number one or number two, that is longer than I would expect in the first place. And even if that happens, by the end of that, A.J. Brown's 26, and he still has a good amount of career ahead of him without that very elite option beside him. I don't think this makes the most massive difference. He's definitely still in that top tier. The other wide receivers of note, you've got Josh Reynolds and Des Fitzpatrick. Des Fitzpatrick was the early fourth round pick that we didn't love the prospect of. You can go back and hear some of our other episodes about him. If it weren't for the landing spot, I don't think he nearly would have gotten the hype that he did. He would have fallen in that range with like Anthony Schwartz and players that may have gotten some draft capital, but we weren't that excited about. And then Josh Reynolds, he definitely had some intrigue before this move because Mm -hmm. it looked like just by process of elimination, he was going to be forced into some targets. And I still think he'll have more value than he did on the Rams as this team's number three, but I don't think you're really going to be starting him that much unless, like you say, Julio could go down with some more injury issues, and that's where you could see him step into a much larger role. Yeah, my one issue with Josh Reynolds is I don't see him as markedly better than any of the three following guys being Des Fitzpatrick, Chester Rogers, or Cameron Batson, who finish out the rest of that depth Mm -hmm. chart. Like, I recognize that he's better, but even a couple down weeks from him or a couple blow-up games from other people, I don't know if he's ever going to carve out a role unless it's with a little bit of luck on his side. I definitely bet on him being that wide receiver three. I just don't think he's that valuable anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Derrick Henry obviously highlights the running back room for this team. He is going to eat, and if he stays healthy, he is going to get probably more rushing yards than anyone else in the NFL. That's just a pretty safe bet at this point. Behind him is Darrington Evans, Jeremy McNichols, and Brian Hill. I think the biggest talking point we definitely have to talk about with this running back room is when does Derrick Henry fall off? Because he is getting up there in age in terms of how running backs go, but He also is a certified outlier in terms of athletic ability. He really hasn't seen injuries up till this point. He also doesn't look like he's slowing down as of yet. He's still looking pretty fast despite that incredible size. I don't understand how he's this fast. Uh And he seems to be fastest last year, (laughs) which is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the question is if you have that asset because he is still valued incredibly high. Are you looking to move him because you think that, you know, statistics show most people once they hit this amount of rushing yards in their career and this age they really start to fall off so are you looking to move him now while his value is still high no i'm waiting half a season i think he's going to be good all season long so i'm waiting half a season i guess my question would be then okay so if you have him for this first half of the season you're doing well he's performing are you trading him then even when he's your star of your contending team that's the question if you're pushing for a (laughs) it's a big trade i feel like you basically have to make your stance i think it's easy to say that on paper but i would be willing to trade him i'm definitely looking for one of those younger elite guys probably from the draft class last year because all these players like gibson and dobbins and swift and ceh these were players that could if they hit perform similarly 
to a Derrick Henry in these PPR leagues where, of course, Henry isn't going to be receiving that many balls. And obviously, what those guys have on Henry is age. So I would be looking to make that move. But if you aren't getting the value really like, assuming you are in a position where you're contending for a title, I'd be willing to keep him even knowing the odds are probably on your side that you're having a depreciating asset. It's worth it if you can go win that championship. Sure, I like the take. The one tight end of note we must talk about is Anthony Ferkser. Yeah. Anthony Ferkser is in this position. I was actually listening to Bussin' with the Boys today, and you have two players from the Tennessee Titans there, and they were all getting hyped about how this offense is going to be better now with Julio, and one person that's going to eat because he won't be seeing the top coverage is going to be Anthony Ferkser. Yeah, who who's going to cover Ferkser? Because you gotta you gotta pay respect to Derrick Henry, mm-hmm. and then you got AJ Brown and Julio. Yeah, big old Anthony's gonna rumble into the middle of the pitch, yep. and he's gonna get catch a lot of footballs. He's definitely in this group of players like Adam Troutman, who just are poised for that potential breakout yeah. season. So he's worth floating offers out for because. He totally has that in his range of outcomes. He showed that he can be a solid receiving tight end. And realistically, because Derrick Henry isn't much of a receiver and their wide receiver three isn't that threatening of a receiver either, I think there's a legitimate possibility he could end up as the third target on a pretty good offense. So everything seems to be aligning for Ferkser to be one of those breakout tight ends. I think he's worth a shot if you can get him anywhere close to cheaply. Yep, don't mind that at all. The other tight ends behind him are Jeff Swaim and Jared Pinckney. Jared Pinckney, I kind of have some interest in. Last year in the draft, I thought he was okay, but he's mostly that blocking type of player, so I'm definitely going for Ferkser. I think he's the obvious candidate out of the three, but you never know. We said that last year about Sternberger and Tunyon, so we can definitely always be wrong in these ambiguous depth charts. Next, we'll move on to the Indianapolis Colts. We've got head coach Frank Reich and offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. This, again, is going to be the same scheme. We don't need to dive too deep into these head coaches because we know Frank Reich is an offensive-minded guy. He obviously was a quarterback back in his playing days, and he's going to be implementing the same system other than the fact that he has some very new personnel, and so he probably is going to have to adapt. I just don't think we need to dive into him until we dive into their quarterback, Carson Wentz. Better than Philip Rivers. Well, yes, I would definitely agree. The question is, is that good? Because Carson Wentz last year was not good. And one thing I will note for Dynasty is, even while he was being not good, at the time, he was the quarterback 12 in fantasy that year. So you could go watch games and think, wow, he is absolutely ruining this season for the Eagles. He's looking so bad. Obviously, Jalen Hurts comes in and looks better. Yeah. But yet... Carson Wentz was putting up fantasy points, and I expect that regardless of if he's good or bad, he will put up fantasy points this year, and I'd be pretty pumped to have him as my quarterback, too, in a super flex league. Here's a comparison for you. Okay. Ryan Tannehill on the Dolphins. Definitely possible. Not very good. You know, Ryan Tannehill gets a pretty elite running back, and he turns into a pretty viable fantasy asset you can Mm -hmm. have structure with. I think it's the scheme, too, is a big part. And the scheme. I think Wentz is going to Frank Reich, and he's getting Jonathan Taylor. And he's going to be much better. I mm-hmm. think we are looking at a significant uptick in Carson Wentz's passing performances, passing touchdowns, and just overall good performances. My only argument against that is I don't think it's Jonathan Taylor, and I also don't think it's Derrick Henry that's making that jump. I think it's yes. the coaching scheme. I think it's the weapons. And mm-hmm. I agree, though, 
if I'm going to pick a side, I'm betting on Carson Wentz. I'm willing to go out and get him now because I think that he can turn it around. We've seen him play well, obviously, in previous years. He was tracking at one point for an MVP-type season. And the most important thing is this O-line, these weapons, and this scheme around him is one of the best situations to be across the league for quarterback. So I just think he's in a situation to succeed. The quarterbacks behind him, being Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger, just aren't that threatening. He's definitely in a good situation where he doesn't have a Jalen Hurts behind him who's going to take his job. If you have him as a dynasty asset... You know you are starting him for this year, and he's going to put up fantasy points. There is fear that he might not turn out in the future, but even then, this isn't going to be a team that's going to be bad enough to have an early pick and to take someone over him. So I would bet that he's got at least two or three years in this amazing situation, so I'm definitely willing to go out and get him right now. I agree. And Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger. Ellinger? I think it's Ellinger. Ellinger. Neither of them are day or one guys. Ellinger, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Sam E. He's not a day one guy. This is not a Jalen Hurts scenario. No, I definitely agree. Wentz has this job, and he will have this job until I think he's very bad. Mm-hmm. I would probably agree. Wide receivers there. You still have T.Y. Hilton, who re-signed this year after, you know, sitting around on free agency for a little while. I think getting very few, if any, offers elsewhere. He does re-sign on the Colts. Then you have Michael Pittman, who they drafted last year, and Paris Campbell, who was drafted a couple years ago and has dealt with a lot of injury. This definitely isn't an elite wide receiving core, but to me, these are the three obvious guys in the field. I like Paris Campbell as a buy because when he has seen limited action, he has been quite involved early last season. He was on pace to have a total breakout season before getting hurt yet again. So I'm always willing to bet against injury because of that randomness, the unpredictability of injuries that I'd be willing to take the shot given his price right now to go for him. Is there anyone else of these three that you're really interested in going after at their price? Realistically, no. I think that the ball is going to be spread around more than you'd want from an Indianapolis Mm -hmm. Colts wide receiver option, just because none of these guys are going to be true alpha. And T.Y. Hilton is just so old now Mm -hmm. that I can't be, you know, betting on that horse. I think Pittman has alpha in his range of outcomes, but he's not my favorite prospect. I'm not really hyper excited for him. I wasn't targeting him in rookie drafts last year. So I agree that I think they're probably all going to be slightly usable flex guys and someone has a good chance to emerge, but it's really hard to see who that's going to be. So I just bring up Paris Campbell's name because I think due to the fact that he's been injured the last few years, you can get him as kind of that throw-in on a deal you were going to make anyway to really put it over the top for yourself. The rest of their depth chart, you've got Zach Pascal, Mike Strahan, and Desmond Patman. To me, Pascal's one of those roster cloggers. I'm not looking at him because even though he is a usable wide receiver in the NFL and he can put up some plays, I just don't think he has that upside to be usable in fantasy. Then the other one that I would definitely bring up would be Mike Strahan, just because I think that he has that elite athleticism that he could emerge in this offense, where clearly we already talked about the wide receivers aren't that difficult to overcome. So he's a good stash for someone that definitely is not getting any rookie hype. I've seen him go incredibly late. Like I'm in a league with 32 teams in it and of every wide receiver that was drafted in the entire draft, he was the last one to go. So that is the level of hype for this guy. It is non-existent. So he's the type of person I'm definitely willing to just throw on your bench late if you're in a deep league, because in a year or two, he could definitely emerge. The running backs for this team, 
starting it off, as I've already alluded to, you got Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor, will he be a bell cow? Will we hearken back to the days when Jonathan Taylor was a bust for the first five weeks of yeah. the 2020 season? Or will one of the following three guys, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack, Jordan Wilkins, I'll whisper his name because he's not very important, prove their relevance? I'm a big believer in Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be fantastic on this offense. I think Hines already has himself that role carved out as being the pass-catching back and the elite end-zone celebrator that he is. But Marlon Mack's return, will it be a resurgence or will it just be irrelevance? Do you have a take on this? Yeah, because of the injury that he has, irrelevance is pretty clearly the answer I'm going with. He was a good back. I think he was underrated for all of his years so far in the NFL, and he was a significant factor in why I thought that Jonathan Taylor might not have the rookie season that a lot of people thought he could. But names like Donta Foreman come to mind when you think of the injury that Marley Mack had. And there are just certain players that straight up cannot come back from this significant type of lower body injury. The fact that he resigned is almost like a, you know, good for him. Hopefully he can reemerge as an NFL player, but I just don't see him as enough of a factor for a truly elite player like Jonathan Taylor. I just think he's going to clean up that rushing work that it's not yeah. really worth it to ever throw in someone like Marlon Mack. I agree. In fact, I think while Mar- Marlon Mack is on the team and still has his name and prestige and that, oh, he could make a comeback, that's when you want to try and get Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is one of the biggest sells in the league right now. Oh, interesting. And that is only because yeah. he is right at the top, I would say, the consensus 102 behind Christian McCaffrey in single quarterback leagues. And that, to me, is just a price I cannot justify. Yeah. I love Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. I have him in leagues, and I'm not eager to sell him. But mm-hmm. yet, I am willing to shop around because if someone is going to give me that type of elite asset, tons and tons of value that you can get in startup drafts if you're sitting there with a top five pick and he's on the board, you can move out from that pick and get a ton of value. So it's hard for for any team to move on from such elite assets, especially because, you know, you kind of got him at value. He wasn't the one-on-one last year, but he really emerged and you're feeling amazing about having him on your team right now. I would be willing to move off of him, but it's not really because of Marlon Mack. It's because I think there are fears for me that Naheem Hines is still going to be relevant. And what is baked into such a high draft pick going to Jonathan Taylor is hoping that he can be used in the passing game to not leave the field. And as much as, you know, I watch games and I think they should do that, Naheem Hines is a good player. And he is a good receiving back who is better at that role than Jonathan Taylor. Although, maybe not by much, because Jonathan Taylor, I think, is a very underrated (laughs) receiver. He's just not used in that way. So, my fear with Jonathan Taylor is that right now you're paying the ceiling price. And there is a chance that this team stick to that committee using Naheem Hines as that pass-catching role. So rather than him being that potential Saquon, Dalvin, CMC, you're actually buying a Nick Chubb who is just going to be very good, but he's the rushing guy who isn't going to see much receiving work. And so he's always floating around that running back five to 10 and never really becoming that truly elite asset. So that's why I'd be looking potentially as someone's going to overpay to move off from that elite asset. Fair take. 
At tight end, there's a trio of, I would say, interesting names on this team because there's no one that clearly stands out as the tight end on the team. You still have Jack Doyle, who's floated around for a long time, and I would say is the guy I'm definitely least interested in of these three, even though he's probably going to be on the field the most. You have Moali Cox, who is a monster of a man and a great athlete, but hasn't really emerged as that receiving option that we all want him to be. And then you have fourth round pick Kylan Granson, who is a tight end that we really liked pre-draft. We expect him to be used much more as a receiver than a blocker at the NFL level, so I don't expect him to emerge right away, but he's the type of tight end that I'm definitely looking to grab because I think that is the role you could see with him down the line. Mm -hmm. I think it's coming to the end of the line for Jack Doyle. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many more seasons he can play, but Mo Cox is not going to hop in and just all of a sudden start being an elite receiving asset. For whatever reason, his game has not been compatible with the Colts offense to date. So Mm -hmm. Kylan Granson, for me, is a sneaky little pickup if you can. I agree. A lot of people seem to view Mo Cox more as that true breakout candidate. I'm much more hesitant than I think the community is in general. The Houston Texans are next. We'll be seeing if they get third place in their division next year. I would bet against it. No, fourth. <laughs> yep, yeah, they're fourth. New head coach, David Culley, who was actually never in a coordinator position before. He came from the Baltimore Ravens as their passing game coordinator, and he was previously under Andy Reid. And they also kept the same offensive coordinator from last year, which is Tim Kelly. Their quarterback situation, which we have definitely brushed upon over the last few weeks and months. Deshaun Watson is the top of that list. There is also Tyrod Taylor, David Mills, and Jeff Driscoll. Deshaun Watson. I feel like we're probably not bringing a lot to the table currently that you all don't already know. Obviously, he's got the allegations against him. One thing I would definitely keep in mind, though, is... Even if everything gets dropped and somehow this completely all disappears, he is still not going back to the Houston Texans. He made that clear beforehand. He is not looking to play for this same team. So even if this is all gone, he is still someone that is going to be moved elsewhere. And we don't know the situation he will find himself in. And I don't want people to forget the fact that the Houston Texans have been a great place for a quarterback to thrive the last few years largely because their defense has been awful. They've basically let Deshaun Watson play hero ball for five years, which for fantasy points is pretty great. great. We, we like that. But Deshaun Watson, given that he is on the field, is an elite asset. I think he's a top five quarterback in Dynasty, but then there's just huge question marks around him. So I think he probably is going slightly too low in startups. So I guess I'd be willing to buy him, but that's fully given that my projection would be that he's not going to play a snap this year. I would expect that he's going to see some sort of suspension, but really, I don't know more than you guys. That's the trouble with this situation. The fact that I don't think he's going to play a snap this season, and especially not for the Texans, means that I expect Tyrod Taylor to play a lot this year. T-Mobile. T-Mobile. Obviously a journeyman who's been around the league and seems to continue to be the starter in front of a high-end rookie pick year after year after year. We know he got punctured in the lung by his team doctor last year. And the depth chart behind him, Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll, I don't think are going to be playing in front of Tyrod much this year. There's a chance if he is losing games, which is a given, that they might want to move to someone of the future like Davis Mills. But I also just don't have a lot of belief in Davis Mills. Assuming Tyrod Taylor is starting, there's actually some fantasy upside because he is as you say, mobile, and he's going to put up some rushing yards, which definitely is the number one thing you're looking for, especially with those quarterbacks that are pretty much depth quarterbacks. Even in Superflex, 
he's not being ranked as a top 24 guy. So he's probably your number three or even number four quarterback. And that's a situation where I'm willing to go out and buy him right now, just because I think he's, despite the fact that he'll be losing so many games, I think as long as he's on the field, he will be putting up decent points with that rushing floor. I would agree. I think that no one's talking about Tyrod Taylor because one, we don't know technically if he's going to be the Mm -hmm. starter. He'll be the starter. I don't mind it. And they're going to be losing games so badly that they're going to need some garbage time. And he's going to get that garbage time. Yeah. In terms of the wide receivers, this is a very interesting group for me. Uh Not interesting as in, ooh, I can't wait to draft them interesting though. So I just wanted to be clear on that. Let's talk about the first two more established wide receivers in the league. Veterans, if you will. You've got Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb. I actually am excited to draft Brandon Cooks this year. (laughs) Listen. I love Brandon Cooks. I was hyping Brandon Cooks up all last season. Mm-hmm, and were. when Brandon Cooks played, he's pretty good. Like, yeah, I like has been for sure. I like Brandon Cooks a lot. I am concerned that he's not going to have the floor that I want to draft him with comfort. That's just true. because I don't know who Tyron Taylor is going to go in and start peppering balls towards. And I think Brandon Cooks excels more when he has a quarterback that can really launch him deep and start getting double moves on guys. Tyra can still bomb it, sure, but he's not. he doesn't have an elite arm, and I worry a little mm-hmm. bit about Brandon Cooks. He's still definitely my wide receiver one for this team. He is the only wide receiver that I have any real excitement for in he, 2021. Yes. I just think that he is the only clear established guy, and I expect that he will soak up a ton of targets, not only in those deep routes, but with a lot of underneath routes as well. So the reason why I'm interested in him is because I think he will be highly targeted, even if it is granted by Tyrod Taylor, someone you don't necessarily want the targets from as much as other guys around the league. But also, he's going incredibly late. He is borderline free, like super late in drafts. And he's one of those guys that isn't as old as you think he is because he's been around the league for a really long time. So I just think he's... He came into the league so young. Yeah, he's just undervalued. So I am definitely willing to go out because I think there's a good chance... If he's your wide receiver three on your team, that's a pretty good spot to be. He's probably going to catch a touchdown per week. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see if the yeah. Texans score a touchdown per week. The third guy who I would expect to be on the field, but definitely is not guaranteed, is Nico Collins. My love for him has been well documented. I think that the fact that there's not a ton out there on this field that are going to be soaking up a lot of targets, I'm pretty excited about Nico Collins. There's also Randall Cobb, but let's be real. Do you really want Randall Cobb? Cobb. I will be very excited watching Nico Collins this year and Mm -hmm. really hoping for for my boy Collins (laughs) that Nico just comes out and balls out. It'll be very exciting to watch. He's someone I'm definitely interested in. Below him on the depth chart is Kiki Kuti, who has a bit of interest. He could find his way on the field in the slot role, especially if Randall Cobb doesn't see the field that much as he didn't last year. Do you remember him losing the game on the fumble? Yeah. Just thought about that right now. Yeah, it's a rough Sorry, one. Kiki. Do you remember DeAndre Swift dropping the pass to win week oh! one? Yeah, I, I always think about that. It's a rough way to start yeah, the NFL career. No kidding. Isaiah Coulter is also still on this team. A fifth-round pick last year. Someone that I wasn't incredibly excited about, but he definitely has his fans out there. If there's any depth chart in the league that you might be able to find a role, this is definitely the one. So he yeah. has some intrigue. He's just not a guy I'm necessarily targeting a ton. And then they also picked up Chris Conley. So I also would not be surprised to see him burning down the sideline at times for this team in the future. In the running back room, they've got four veteran names. They've got David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, and Rex Burkhead. 
So confusing uh-huh. to sign those two last guys. So Mark Ingram, they signed before Philip Lindsay, and I feel like they looked at him as like, okay, the leader in the room backup. But then Philip Lindsay is a better option. Rex Burkhead, I don't see too much intrigue at all. The way I see this running back room, because clearly it's not the best offense in the league, I've got some interest as a depth piece in David Johnson, and I think Philip Lindsay, because he's got to be incredibly cheap right now, is a decent guy to take a shot on because there is just a very solid possibility to me that he just outperforms these other guys and can take that role. So those are the only two guys I'm genuinely interested in. Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead, sorry, just not interested. They're just depth pieces that strike me as expensive depth pieces that won't grow a whole lot in their role because they're so old. Mm -hmm. It's odd management. It's odd to me. It is weird. Um, David Johnson's just the one guy where I think maybe he's going to catch, you know, a bunch of passes in the Mm -hmm. backfield. It's very possible he could be highly targeted. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely is the type to be that. James Robinson last year or Leonard Fournette on the same team the year before where the team doesn't always have to be good. If you're getting targeted enough, you can sneak in some touchdowns every once in a while and you don't look too slow, which there's a chance David Johnson is just washed up at this point. But if he even looks as good as he did last year, which is decent, he can have some fantasy value and be that depth of running back that you're okay with starting whenever you need to. They also have a fairly thin tight end room, I would say. You've got yeah. Jordan Akins, who is incredibly old and not someone I'm very interested in. <laughs> He'll you catch have... four touchdowns this year. <laughs> you have Brevin Jordan, who is someone, again, I am well-documented in liking quite a bit. I also think that Brevin Jordan, because I was doing some more research on the tight ends this offseason since the draft, has risen up my board since the very initial post-draft episode we've done. And the reason for that is I basically looked into the hit rate for receiving tight ends from rounds three onwards. And so what are the chance you got a hit out of your tight end you drafted in round three, round four, round five? And the difference between that group, which is where we're looking because we've got the Hunter Longs and the Tommy Trembles, this entire group of guys, in the third round, your hit rate is only about 5% higher. They're in the 30s. I believe it's 38 in the Mm. third round, and the fifth round, it's 32. So the hit rate is very similar. And so that makes me then go, okay, I got to go back to my pre-draft rankings because this is the guy, Brevin Jordan, that is the best receiver of that group. I think clearly his film and his statistics that he put up in college show that, that he can be that weapon, that Jonu Smith type, as we comped him to in the pre-draft episode. So he has that upside. And then also, compared to a lot of those guys who went much earlier than him in the draft, he's competing with Jordan Akins, Cahale Waring, and Farrell Brown. So I think he can emerge from that group and be the primary receiving target early in his career. So he's someone I'm going to try to go after late in my rookie drafts or now even after as throw-ins and trades because he is as good of a bet as anyone beyond those top two tight ends to emerge in his room as being the guy and really any tight end that can produce early. You're making gains immediately because most tight ends just put up no numbers for the first couple of years. Our fourth and final team we're going to talk about finished last place, mm-hmm. not just in this division, but in the league, yep. Jacksonville Jaguars. One of the more interesting teams to talk about in the entire league, not only because, of course, they had that first round pick, but because they have a new head coach, Urban Meyer, obviously a big name. They also brought in Daryl Bevel, who is a 
renowned offensive coordinator who's been around the league for a long time, won Super Bowls with Russell Wilson and etc. Urban Meyer, he has a very interesting scheme and he is definitely the coach of this episode that I want to talk about the most because he can bring a lot of value for fantasy. He runs that spread offense and I think the way that they have managed free agency and the draft since he has come on board shows that they want to implement that scheme. He plays a very spread offense, he wants to be pass heavy, and he also has this very specific role that usually in his offense eats quite a bit of the target share, the rushing share. It's this slot receiver, H-back type hybrid role that runs a lot of sweeps, plays almost like you saw Curtis Samuel do so in Carolina last year. We watched him, you know, have some goal line rushes, run some sweeps, use that speed, and they always profile in the same way. They're kind of that smaller, thicker, but speedier guy. I really do think Curtis Samuel is a great example. I also believe Curtis Samuel ran this role in the Urban Meyer system. The big question is, who is it going to be? That is the question. So LaVisca Chenault, I think when Urban Meyer first showed up, seemed to be that type of guy. He's that running back wide receiver combo. He can definitely do all that and he's hyper athletic. But then of course, with the 25th pick, they take a Travis Etienne and he could be in that role as well. So we'll talk about each of them First, let's get into the quarterback. First overall pick, obviously, Trevor Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. Again, if you want to hear more about our takes about Trevor Lawrence, we've done a lot of episodes this offseason. He's a great prospect. I think he's as safe as they come. And what's exciting about him within this offense is he can distribute the ball. He can throw a very nice ball, stay in that pocket, and even move a little bit more than you'd expect him to. So I think Him as an addition into this Urban Meyer system is the type of offense that can produce a lot of fantasy points. So that's exciting. I honestly believe that just this entire offense in general is going to be the most exciting to watch for fantasy because I have some really high expectations. and I also don't really know where the points are going to come from. Mm -hmm. The quarterbacks behind Trevor Lawrence, you have Gardner Minshew, who's still around. I don't know what the future with him is. I think he's a great shining example of even if you have a player that emerges early through some opportunity and some injuries, James Robinson also fits this group. But if you do not have that draft capital, if your team is not highly committed to you, it's probably smarter to sell that player in Dynasty. Mm -hmm. Below Gardner Minshew, they also brought in CJ Beathard and Jake Luton this offseason. I think Jake Luton was already on the team. I think he's a sixth round pick. I guess that you're right. It was last year. I remember because Luton threw four interceptions against my Pittsburgh Steelers and it was a good, good day. Interesting. I do not remember him ever playing last year. He, but he yeah. played, I think, one game. Okay. And let me tell you, it didn't go very well. <laughs> Honestly, now that you bring it up, I can remember you being excited for the start of that game. <laughs> Their wide receiver room, which is an interesting one for sure. Oh, it's so. It's the most interesting wide receiver room to me. Mm-hmm. They've got DJ Chark, LaVisca Chanel, Marvin Jones, who they brought in this year. Colin Johnson, who was a rookie pick last year and actually showed out a little bit in his rookie season. And they also brought in Philip Dorsett, who I think is a pretty good depth piece. DJ Chark. There was some weird reports. I don't know if you saw them this week about the fact that Urban Meyer really hated his tape and really wanted to bulk up, but he responded well and he has put on quite a lot of pounds and he's, you know, 215 or something now. Which is weird. I don't understand why Urban Meyer would have hated the tape he saw because DJ Chark is a very skilled receiver. That being said, I don't think him putting on weight is necessarily a bad thing. DJ Chark says he still retained his speed and that was an important part for him throughout this process. But if he has, then great. No harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. This is what you're going to get out of an Urban Meyer coaching tree. Yeah. 
some weird stuff that you're like, uh, okay, sure, man. So yeah, that's basically my reaction to this. I still like DJ Chark. He's an interesting asset in Dynasty for sure. I don't know how much this offense is going to hyper-target one guy as you saw in previous years or if they're going to move the ball around. I definitely lean towards the fact that his target share could go down because they brought in some other weapons and I know they're going to run that very spread offense. So I think that DJ Chark is probably going to still be that boomer bust type guy, but he's just a really good player and I love what I see on tape with him. So he's someone that I still really like. I agree potentially our first candidate for that role that Colin was alluding to. Mm -hmm. This role where you're getting a ton of volume and you're running and you're catching. Could it be LaVisca Chenault? Yes, it could because LaVisca Chenault was in a really similar role when he was in college. Not to the same degree, but he was operating out of the backfield. He was operating in the slot. He was operating out wide. He didn't do enough last year for me to be confident at all in saying, yep, it's going to be him. Totally. And it's just, he just hasn't proven himself entirely yet. Mm-hmm. To me, at least. I like the talent of LaVisca. I think he's potentially a good buy low right now, but there's a lot of risk. He's that boom or bust type of asset right now because you don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah. He falls in that category of, he's not disappointing as a rookie. He just didn't quite blow up. He was just fine. He just didn't really establish himself. But that doesn't mean he had a complete bust of a rookie season like a Brian Edwards or something. He was just fine. So it's hard to know, is he going to make that second year jump? He's got a new system, obviously, potentially a new role. Or is he just going to fade a bit and be one of those wide receiver three types? Someone that could potentially jump in front of him in the target chair is Marvin Jones. And Marvin Jones, let's be real, at this point, he's... What do they say? No spry chicken? Is that right? No spring chicken? Yeah, he's no spring chicken. I don't think he's very spry either at this point either. Both works. (laughs) Yeah, so he's definitely aging. I don't think he's got a lot of time left in the league, but he's very good at what he does, which is contested catches, run down the sideline, jump up over a corner, and come down with the ball. He could easily take away a lot of touchdowns from these other wide receivers in this offense. I'm not looking at him as much as someone that I'm super excited for in fantasy anymore, though. I think he really benefited in Detroit for being one of two only real good options in that passing game. And also the fact Kenny Galladay wasn't always around and he became that de facto one. Mm -hmm. He, to me, seems to be the clear number three on this offense, but I think he's the right type of guy for an offense to succeed to be that number three because he can score some touchdowns and produce for you. I agree, and I also think that Marvin Jones has consistently been a touchdown machine in his career. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that stopping. If he's able to actually stay healthy and be on part of what I think could be pretty fast-moving Jags offense, spread offense, Mm -hmm. I think he can be a more viable target than people think. He's definitely undervalued to me right now. I would agree. And Trevor Lawrence, for him, that's the type of weapon you want to have, especially down your depth chart. If he can be your wide receiver three and Trevor Lawrence can be confident in throwing those jump balls to Marvin Jones, that's definitely exactly what you're looking for. They also have Colin Johnson, who impressed me in his rookie season because... He's a very big guy. I believe he's 6'6", but he was actually much quicker on the NFL field than I ever saw in college. So I think he leveled up a little bit. He is another guy that I could see in a year if Marvin Jones is gone, him potentially taking over that. Yeah, going in that same role. And then Philip Dorsett is just depth, knowing that I'm too excited about. Good depth. In the running back room, something that's very interesting for this team. You've got their new first round pick being Travis Etienne. And again, he could play this weird little H-back role. Very possible. If I'm a betting man, which I am, it's going to be Etienne. I would agree. 
spent the first round draft capital. We're going to see a lot of ETN. Mm-hmm. Even if James Robinson owners are saying, oh my goodness, look at his yards per carry. Where you're going to see so much ETN that you have to put a respectable draft price on this guy. Yeah. In redraft, in dynasty, you got to look out for this man. He's definitely someone that has crazy high upside. And yeah. also because, you know, you've seen these weird reports. Oh, he's been playing as a wide receiver and everyone's all worried about it. They want to use him in this receiving game. I don't think it's much of a no, bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing. If anything, though, it does signify that he could be in this weird slot role that Urban mm-hmm. Meyer loves to run. And if that is true, that is very good news for James Robinson because he could play yes. that traditional bruising back in this offense. So what you're hoping for if you have James Robinson is that there is a role for both of them. This is that Chubb-Kareem Hunt type situation where both can be on the field if Kareem Hunt's out in the slot. And if James Robinson can see enough time on the field, this could be a better offense. There could be more touchdowns for him to get on the goal line. I still think that James Robinson has some value. It just clearly isn't the value that you thought you had before they spent a first round pick on a different running back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's pretty simple. If people are panicking over James Robinson and he's way too cheap, you can try and go out there and pursue him. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason they're panicking. There was, you know, he was getting the ball consistently more times than any single other Jags player. Now he won't be. We could also be wrong. And Travis Etienne, in his range of outcomes, could become a complete CMC-level bell cow. And James Robinson is just relegated to a backup role. I think James Robinson had too good a season for that to happen this year. But that's that's just prognostication. It's just a possibility. We're all playing with these percentages. They also have Carlos Hyde, who they brought in this year, which is simple running back depth for that James Robinson role. And then they also have Divine Azigbo, who is stuck around the roster, but not someone I am super excited about. The tight end room is also atrocious, I would say. Last year, they had Tyler Eifert, who you think is like, oh, that's a pretty bad tight end. And uh, they got way worse. (laughs) In ways that were unexpected to me. (laughs) They have James O'Shaughnessy. Who's their clear number one? He kind of, I guess, has to be. They have Luke Farrell, who has some upside because he's a rookie in this offense. He can be used as a receiver. So, hey, we were talking about Brevin Jordan having no competition. I actually think that Luke Farrell, as a rookie tight end, has even less competition. They have Chris Manhurts, who throughout his career has been a blocker. I think he'll possibly be on the field the most of any of these guys but it's pretty much always blocking and then there's tim tebow toby this is all we're gonna say about this subject tim tebow over or under 0.5 touchdowns in 2021 under under so you're going zero he's tim tebow's not getting in the end zone (laughs) that's all i wanted to happen you're in the two yard line tim tebow motions out left everyone and their mama knows that the nfl wants this to happen tim tebow wants this to happen they're not just going to leave him wide open. He's, he's large. He's, he's, he's too large to leave wide open. He's also just too conspicuous a person. You know, if they bring in Chris Manhurts and, mm-hmm. you know, he, he slips between the, the linebackers, sure, it's a possibility. Tim Tebow's out there. You're going to have a bunch of guys who want to just beat his ass. Tim Tebow does not get in the end zone. You heard it here first, Steve Dye Dynasty <laughs> podcast. Unless you disagree with me. No, I'd probably agree. Good. There, there's a chance he gets a one, but it's, I don't know. Chan- I think the highest chance is that he doesn't make the team. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, I'm still right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's all we got to say about that. 
That is our divisional deep dive for this week. But before we end the episode, of course, we've got a Dynasty Buy of the Week. I've got five hints. If you want to hear all the rules about this game, you can read them below. Toby, here's your first hint. This player had five total touchdowns last year in the 13 games he played. Strikes me as tight end numbers to have five touchdowns in 13 games. Evan Ingram. It's not Evan Ingram. Okay. This player finished as the RB22 in PPR last year. RB22 finishes with... Is this DeAndre Swift? No, what... I already said it. DeAndre Swift. No, it's not DeAndre Swift. I think that you would not say that Swift is a buy, but I don't know. That that is true. I think Swift is a sell. (laughs) You're playing the man. I'm playing the man. I gotta focus on the game. This running back is the clear starter for one of the best offenses in the league. CEH. You got it. Good job, CEH. Because, yeah, he did miss those games. Yeah, I missed a few, and surprisingly to me, five touchdowns is a very small number on this. It has to go up. Mm -hmm. My other two hints were that his only new competition is Jarek McKinnon, and Jarek McKinnon was signed in replacement of two other members of the backfield leaving, and that is obviously Lev Bell and, although he didn't play last year, Damian Williams. So there is even less competition than there was last year, obviously, Bell wasn't good last year, but he did come over from the Jets and ate into CH's workload quite a bit. You can see just the snap totals that he was on the field last year. It did drop as they brought in Bell. And then my last hint was just that he was the only running back draft in the first round last year. And I think that people are now very strongly underrating CEH and the potential that he has to really emerge this year. The reasons why I think that he is poised to have a breakout season is because one, the situation clearly is very good. They have the best quarterback in the league, a great offense. They're going to be scoring a ton of touchdowns and he is a receiving weapon in that offense. Also compared to last year, their offensive line just somehow got quite a bit better. They traded their first round pick and got Orlando Brown. They picked up, I believe, three or four like very good free agents, which seemed impossible because they didn't have a lot of cap space. That just goes to show you the cap wizardry that can go on in the (laughs) NFL. But his situation, his O-line actually got better. And I think that he is not going to be taken off the field as much as he was last year, even though they do have Jarek now, which Jarek McKinnon last year, lose snaps to far inferior competition. So I just think that CEH is poised. He's going to lose some snaps to Daryl Williams, some to Jarek McKinnon, but he's going to be on the field a ton, used as primarily the receiving back. I know that last year he wasn't used in the receiving game nearly as much as we expected, but that is why they drafted him in the first round last year. They want to have that elite running back out of the backfield as long as he can improve upon his blocking, which is one of the main reasons he was taken off of third downs last year is because he's not the best pass blocker. If he can improve in that aspect, he's going to be out there all the time catching passes, assuredly scoring more than five touchdowns. That is got to be the floor as the starter in this offense. I would expect 10 plus just because I think their entire offense is just going to be eating up, scoring tons and tons of touchdowns. And I have seen 
in the community. People just totally fading him out of even being in the conversation amongst those other rookies. The Akers, the Swift, the Gibson. CH was drafted before any of those guys. Consensus across the board will have him ranked below all of those people, including Dobbins, including Swift. And I realistically think CH should be up there. I would take CH over Dobbins. I I would, in a heartbeat. I think I would still take him over Swift and not almost anyone would agree with that at this point. So CH to me is a very clear buy, one of the biggest buys across the board in the league. So I'm just looking to buy him now while people are still lower on him, because I think in a year, this offense is going to start using him the way they wanted to when they drafted him. So I want to buy him now before he has, in my opinion, a complete breakout season. Yeah, I don't mind that take. I would definitely take him over Dobbins. Over Swift, I don't know. But if I'm saying he's comparable to Swift and people have him less than Dobbins, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go get this man. Yeah, I think he's worth it. That's it, everyone. That is our episode. Again, we will be continuing our divisional deep dive series. But thank you so much for listening. As always, make sure you find us on Twitter at Deep Dive Dynasty. Toby, thank you so much again for being here. Thank you, sir. And we will see you all again next Thursday. Have a good one, everyone. Peace.